the realization that exactly everything is in our own hands. I think we had both gotten stuck in this mindset of like life happens to you and you just roll with it, whether it makes you happy or not, like that's not priority. And I think by moving here and committing to a different type of life has just made me realize that exactly everything is possible if we just want it and want it enough. That was the voice of Sofia. And we're also joined by her husband, Michael. They are a Swedish slash American couple now living in Sweden. They are runners, garden nerds, and so much more. And they have this certain glow about them. And I think you're going to pick up on that in the episode as well. You're listening to My True North, where I normally sit down with one fascinating individual, but today it's two fascinating individuals. These two have really listened to that inner voice, telling them it must be more to life than what they have been told. Something more than just a nine to five job. Let's dive into the conversation. Then I would like to say welcome to Michael and Sofia. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming on. Do you mind introducing yourself so people know who they're listening to? Um, sure. I, I'm Sophia. Uh, I am 33 years old, uh, born in Stockholm, moved to New York uh, when I was 25, where I met the love of my life sitting right next to me. Is that, is that me? <laughs> that's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might come as a surprise, but that's, that's you. Um, and uh, I am I'm a translator, as in my profession. Um, but I think I dream of being able to answer that as uh, I'm a runner and vegetable grower instead. <laughs> so maybe that will be the future. Um, but we live, yeah, yep. maybe that's your turn now. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm Michael, which you've already said, but I am 36 years old and originally from New York and have moved to Sweden because of Sophia here. And perhaps, I've been perhaps the love of yours. <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> hopefully. And we've been here for three and a half years now, and I'm actually a Swedish citizen now, which is really cool and something I'm proud of. Yeah, I used to work as an engineer back in New York, typical nine to five job, often more than nine to five. And now we do, I, I, we work a lot less. I would say. Mm-hmm. Well, we I wouldn't say we work a lot less, but we work with things that we're more passionate about. But I think in this introduction of us, a lot of people may know us more like together who we are. Yeah. And that's through our um, social media account and through our blog. And there we're known as Live Slow, Run Far, our platform for sharing everything that we're passionate about, which is recipe, green recipes, so vegetarian, often vegan, vegetable growing, running, downshifting. It's a lot of what everything that we brings us happiness in our life. We we like to share through those platforms. Yep. Is that it's good? Yeah. Yeah. You want to add anything yeah. to that? Um, no, it's it's just an sort of as odd of a mix of things as we are. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's what makes it charming as well, having that kind of a wide spectrum on an account as well. Um, being able to have that open, and you can talk about basically anything you want because. What you're sharing is what you're passionate about. And what you are passionate about right now might change in you know, a few years and may maybe go a different direction as well. But where did the name come from, Live Slow, Run Far? I believe we were out for a walk one day and then we said, oh, it would be fun to come up with a hashtag that we could use 
for all of our pictures on Instagram. And we had more, a, a, a different name in the beginning that was just sort of a, a quite random name from my old company that I had like 10 years ago. And we wanted a hashtag that sort of resonated with everything that we posted. So we started toying around with lots of different like like verbs and, and adjectives that we thought like made sense. And then eventually we just landed uh, in live slow and far because we like to live slow in the sense that um, stress is as absent as possible. Um, not necessarily in like we do nothing, more like we do a lot, but we do it at our own pace and um, when we want to and for the right reasons and not because someone else is tell, someone else tells us to. And then the run far comes from our um, huge passion in ultra running. Um, but also, like, it has sort of a... It's like, like a double meaning. Yeah, thing. like we want planet Earth to run far. Like we want things to just be done in a more sustainable fashion. So it sort of, I guess, packs a lot into it, the name. Uh, and then I think we'd used it as a hashtag for a few weeks, and then we were like, hang on, this should be the name of the account instead. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's way better. Yeah, yeah. That's so much better. So, yeah, that's that's where it came from. Cool. Can we jump back to a bit of uh, the New York story? Because that's how I got to know you. I heard you guys on another podcast, actually. And the way I just fell in love with your, basically you guys and your content was hearing how you two met. I remember you guys talking about living in the same hallway, if I don't remember totally incorrect. And like listening when the other one came home on the other side. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, do you mind sharing a bit about that? Should I do one? You're the storyteller <laughs> in the family, so. <laughs> yeah, so um, I had, if we then go back to January 2013, um, so that everyone follows along here, I had just moved to New York uh, to take an English class just for one semester. Um, and I had rented an apartment, which of course cost me half a fortune. Um, but I had rented a tiny apartment um, in the East Village in New York City, uh, in Manhattan, on 2nd Street. I sort of came a, a broken person. Like, I had had a really rough time for the past few years in my life, and I felt very lost and, and just, yeah, I didn't really know where my life was taking me. But it had taken me there, and I knew I had to go to New York. For, for some reason, I knew I had to go to New York and make it my home for a while. And I had... First, I got there and I got the flu, um, and I got so sick, sicker than I've ever gotten in my whole life. But it sort of, I think, just it, there was something in there that um, helped me piece myself together because I was all alone in this apartment and I just had to figure things out. And there was just endless of time where I could just think about stuff, and I realized how much of my own uh, like life story essentially I had put in the hands of others as in others are responsible for my lack of happiness or happiness or whatever and not so much myself and there was something in there that just made everything just click for me and it's almost as if I like emerged out of that apartment after a week of being sick like a new person it was like <laughs> ah <laughs> and and just a few days after that I was leaving my apartment um, just to go out and this guy came in from the street and as I was un um, as I was locking my door, he starts unlocking his door, which was then just facing mine. So they were like a meter or three feet apart, facing each other. 
And as he's unlocking, he then stops and turns around and he says, my name is Michael, by the way, and shakes my hand. And we chatted for a little bit. Um, and you went into your apartment. I walked out on the street and I just had this like, I just met my person. I, I cannot describe it. It was just like, there he was. I could not even remember what you looked like. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember calling my mom and saying like, I just met my neighbor and she was like oh cool and I was like no no I just met my neighbor <laughs> and this might be like <laughs> this is my person and she was shocked but at the same time maybe not I think um, that t time we first met yeah I don't know if I ever told you this but I actually after you left yeah um, I wrote in my phone in the notes app I said um, Sophie don't forget <laughs> And of course, her name isn't Sophie, it's Sophia. So I already screwed that up from the beginning. But I think I knew something was there, that there was something special, um, mm -hmm. even though, even if it took a little longer for me to come around. <laughs> she had to convince you. I really had to convince you. Yeah, right, right. But I was interested from the beginning. Yeah, there was maybe something yeah. there. So anyway, continue. I was taking this English class, and I told a friend that I had made uh, there that I'd you know, bumped into this guy and I was like, I, I don't know what to do now. Um, as, as everyone might be suspecting here, I wasn't like <laughs> one to know how to sort of play those cards, right? <laughs> Men wasn't like exactly a, an expert area of mine. But anyway, she was like, Oh, you should just grab a few beers and knock on his door and ask him to hang out. And I was like, okay, clearly you have no idea who I am. I don't do beer. <laughs> I would never in a million years do anything like that. I was more like, maybe I'll knock on his door and ask if he has a vegetable peeler. <laughs> that was more my approach. Um, because then he'll know I'm interested in cooking, and I think cooking is cool. And she was like, no, 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 no New Yorkers cook. Like, they go out to eat or they get takeout. Like, the beer thing is the way to go. And I was like, oh, no, that's not going to happen. But Super Bowl was coming up, and I knew that was a big thing. So I was like, oh, here's, like, the foolproof plan. I'm going to write a note on his, and put it up on his door and ask him if he can recommend any bars to go to to watch the game. As if I was a bar goer to begin with. I'd never been to a bar. But anyway, <laughs> I thought it made sense. So I did that. I wrote a note and I taped it at his door. And then I walked out. And this was the day of the Super Bowl. So it was just a few hours before the game actually started. Um, but I left the apartment and I just took off on a long, long walk. And then I was like, I'm completely insane. Like, what am I doing? He might be living with someone in there. Like, you might have, like, you could have, like, a wife and four kids. I wouldn't know. Um <laughs> So I was like, oh, crap, what did I do? Um, and so I came back like two, three hours later, and now we're just a few hours away from the game, and the note is still up on your door as I walk in. And I was like, oh, I, I could just take it down now. And he would never know it was even up, uh, assuming you would have removed mm -hmm. it if you had seen it. Um, but I was like, no, I'll just leave it. And I walked into my apartment, and as the door is closing behind me, I hear Mike's door open, and I'll completely panicked <laughs> so I just stood there I froze on the inside of my door um, as I heard him like pull down the note this is New York City so you could hear absolutely everything um, so he did that and then he just went straight and knocked on my door and I was like I'm not gonna open because <laughs> that's because that's the logical <laughs> thing to think you play hard here. right exactly had nothing to do with that I just was completely panicking on the inside 
Um, so I just stood there and I couldn't move because the floors were so damn creaky. He would be able to tell that I was there. So I was like, I need to be absolutely still so he, had, does, he doesn't understand that I'm standing here refusing to open the door. Um, and then I hear him go back into his apartment and then come back out again and then swoosh, the note flies in under my door and lands like a meter away from where I'm standing. Obviously, I'm dying to see what the heck is what the heck the note is saying, but I can't move because <laughs> so I'm just standing there staring at this note on the floor, waiting to hear Mike leave the um, apartment building, exiting through the door and then walking out on the street. And then I just like basically ran this one step to the note where it says, my buddy and I are watching the Super Bowl, having some friends over. You're more than welcome to come text me. And then there was your phone number. And I was like, all right. I guess I'll do that. <laughs> so we were not planning on having a, a Super Bowl party or anything like that. You made it seem a little cooler than maybe so it was. <laughs> when when I saw the note, first of all, I knew that she she was in New York to um, study English. And I had thought, okay, maybe it was an assignment um, in her class <laughs> to spend, watch the Super Bowl, watch the Super Bowl with some Americans and have that like experience. So I thought this was like an assignment of yours. So I was like, okay. Um, But, and then I was like, we're like oozing self-confidence. I know. I called my friend Neil up and I'm like, Neil, we have this opportunity. (laughs) We're two single single guys. (laughs) Let's host a party. So we were like, okay, what do you do for a Super Bowl party? You have um, beer and buffalo chicken wings. Um, little did I know that she was a vegetarian <laughs> and didn't drink, but we prepared everything and, um, we said, okay, let's, let's see if they'll, if they'll come. And, uh-huh. um, so, yes, yeah, so I texted my friend Paul and I was like, you have to come chaperone me here because for all I know, he could be an ax murderer <laughs> and I'm going to be dead by the end of the day. <laughs> so I needed someone to come save me. If that was the case. No, of course I didn't think that I had a pretty good feeling, but it still felt better to go there with company. Um, so we showed up and, uh, this story could go on forever, but I could just wrap it up by saying we showed up and we had a laugh at the chicken mm-hmm. wings. Um, and you and I, I think had something starting maybe already there as we were just sitting next to each other. I think we sort of um, just, we were sort of vibrating mm-hmm. on the same frequency. Um, but I think what really did it was we ended up uh, walking back home together that mm-hmm. night. And um, during that walk, it was just as if the, it sounds so cheesy, but like the stars were aligned in our, the way we just chatted. Um, we touched upon so many different things and just realized we had so much in common. And, um, yeah, I just, I sort of, I can still feel that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just in our relationship today, but I can actually go back into that moment and um, feel the, that we were vibrating on mm-hmm. the same frequency. Um, and then you had actually, you wrote me a note um, two days later where you asked me out on to, mm-hmm. have to, Indian, to have Indian food. So... We had dinner then, and I guess the rest is history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we started dating after that, yeah. and then here we are. Uh, yeah, that's, that's such a cute story. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> For how long did you live in New York before you decided to move back to, to Sweden? Uh, f- about five years. So how was the decision-making uh, for Mike then, leaving your country and then moving to Sweden? What was the decision process like? Oof, it, I, don't, I wouldn't say like... Um, 
it was a decision that we like pondered for a long time. I would say there was no process. There was no process. It kind of just a light bulb went off and said, um, maybe we can be happier and um, do more of the things that we would like to do in our life in Sweden. And it was actually me that brought it up. Um, we were um, actually in Sweden for our wedding and I had taken some time off of work. I had taken five weeks vacation, which is unheard of in America. And I, I had been at my company for a long time and my normal, you know, two weeks off per, per year, I, I'd been, um, I'd never taken more than that. And I had convinced my bosses that summer to say, okay, this one time I'm going to take five weeks off and stepping away from the hamster wheel and the nine to five job for that extended period of time really cleared my head and it opened my eyes um, and made me kind of think about things from a different perspective. And then it just hit me that, why don't we move to Sweden? We can do so much more here. Part of that is just also like the, the pure financial yeah. difference between like countryside living in Sweden versus New York City. New York is, is an amazing place and um, we, we miss it a lot. But it's also, it's a hard life to live there. You have to work a lot to make enough money to live a middle Deep, class, was decent, a decent life. life. Yeah. You can't just escape an hour to the countryside from New York because that's really expensive too. There are other places in America that we could have moved to that um, we've been able to work less and um, have more time, but it didn't really make sense to consider those because my family is in New York and your family is in Sweden. So it anyway, would have sort of been far away from everyone. That uh, way. Yeah. We were just eating dinner and I think we had just had ice cream or something. Oh, no, the ice cream was to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and I had just brought it up and um, I think it was something that I was um, thinking about in the back of my head for a few months, maybe even a year. Um, just every time I had been here, um, I had loved it and I really felt like I fit in. Um, and you were probably really surprised. When yeah, I, I, I always just envisioned us in America for a few reasons. I think the one thing was that, like, I essentially made the move in the beginning and sort of, um, created that for us as in like, like I'm willing to do that and, and let's create a life here. Um, I, I want to say, I was maybe not expecting you to, this is going to sound like negative, but I mean it in a very positive way. Like I don't, I didn't think that you would maybe have the courage to do so. Mm -hmm. Like I think I thought you would just be like, no, 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 I can't leave. Like this is what I know, um, that you would maybe be unwilling to move to a place where you would be new, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, where everything would be new. And it's still hard. Of I course, still my course. my Swedish is is pretty poor. And no, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's still it's still uncomfortable for me. Um, you know, going out like in public and, and running around, yeah. like anything where the language is involved, and I do miss the comforts of like what I grew up with. Basically, the way you worded it was like, "Is there a reason for us not to move?" Mm -hmm. And there was something in that wording that night that just like made everything sort of click for us. It was like. No, there isn't. I mean, of course, your family. Yeah. Like, I'm not. But the way it works when you're a bicultural marriage is mm -hmm. obviously that one person will be far away from their family, and it's not easier for one than the other. So, we would always have to pay that price. Well, I think the the decision to move from New York to Sweden 
was actually a lot easier for me personally than the decision to, once we were here, the decision to live a, a simpler um, sort of out-of-the-box life. Mm-hmm. Because when we moved here, um, our plan was to sort of take a, a sabbatical year and not work. We had saved up money living in New York, and we were going to kind of just refresh, um, relax, and then after a year, get um, I would work as an engineer, get a job as an engineer in Stockholm, go back to the, the old type like of normal life, life. The yeah. normal life, maybe with a few weeks more vacation and better parental leave. Yeah, but exactly. essentially back to the normal life. So that the decision to um, not do that was actually, um, and it still is pretty hard. Would you say that? I wouldn't say... I, I would say, say I would say it brings maybe challenges. Exactly. But I wouldn't say it's hard or or something that we have doubts about. I would say just it brings challenges. So in moments of like, obviously we haven't been explicitly saying things here, but like being self-employed yeah. is part of that. Obviously, um, that brings its own set of challenges and not being not having the comfort of a monthly paycheck and an employer and. Like that whole safety net, mm-hmm. um, I would say, proves more challenging than what it was like just saying, "Hey, we're mm-hmm. actually going to move," because that sort of clicked for us very quickly. And this has clicked too. I don't want to make it seem like it hasn't, yeah. but it, it still it, it's and like I bet you can relate to that too, Kelly. Yeah, totally. Like we're so grown up and raised by actually hustle. Like we should work nine to five and even more than that. And feeling okay with not doing that is it takes time. Still takes time for me to just shut it off because. I really enjoy what I do, like filming and uh, doing podcasts like this. It's so much fun and it feels like I'm tricking the world somehow in like, I can call this work yeah. Yeah. because yeah. The, way, uh, the way I was raised in school is not like this. No, it should it's be a grind. To go to work and be miserable. Yeah, exactly. And I think also like some part of it is, and this is probably more prominent for you than it is for me, Mike, um, that you came from... Uh, you had been at your company for 10 years, like you were totally climbing the ladder there. You were um, mm-hmm. being promoted left and right. And like you sort of had a more of a flourishing career as opposed to me. Um, I had been more, I'm a few years younger than you. I had spent most of my time in New York studying and before that traveling. And I didn't really have the same, or I don't have the same um, work background as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that obviously comes a, a sense of validation and, um, it's like when you're in a um, work environment like that and with promotions and paychecks and everything and pay raises and whatever, you're getting like a constant confirmation that you're doing something right and that you're um, this, I don't know, perfect like example of what society like wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And when you're living the way we do now, we don't have that. The one thing that um, I always go back to now, especially, um and I, I'm completely comfortable with what we're doing now, and I don't really have any doubts. Um, my my ego can sometimes struggle without that um, that confirmation that you were talking about. Yeah. But knowing that we should have included this when we introduced ourselves, but we also have a son, Tia, <laughs> who <laughs> that's small detail, <laughs> who's who's turning um, one this this and month. Yeah, but we... just the fact that we can um, spend every day with him it's it's worth like everything absolutely that must be such a different upbringing for a kid as well and that's the vision for me and christina as well one day when we're getting hopefully kids 
that we actually can be at home, working from home and planning our lives around the kid and make, making that upbringing as good as possible. And we often say, like, for example, on um, was a Tuesday, um, it was like 3.30 or something, and we were just like, oh, it's nice outside. Let's go for a bike ride and say hi to, uh, so my mom and my stepdad have a, a summer house or a vacation home 3K away from us, and they're here, and and they just um, got a puppy. Uh, yeah, a German Shepherd, nine weeks old little thing. <laughs> it lives down there now. So it's like, oh, let's hop on the bikes and just bike down there and say hi and, and uh, uh, check out the dog and, and just hang out for a bit. And we did. And then as we biked home, I just like we just looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, it's Tuesday at four o'clock. Um, we're just like biking and it's wonderful. And our kid is right back there in the bike seat probably falling asleep um and we just looked at each other and was like if we had been in new york you would have worked hours that you probably would have come home after he fell asleep every single day you mm-hmm. would have had saturday and sunday together with him as opposed to now where we're together all the time we do mm-hmm. work here and there and we take turns and we sort of play tag a little bit but the the sort of the, the, the general structure is that we're together and that's just I mean, there's absolutely no paychecks in the world that can make up for that. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Like getting payment, you realize when you move out here, at least for me, like how not important money is. It's important in the sense that like, yeah, I need to renovate the roof. I need to buy a new door. That, In that sense, it's important. But feeling rich in your lifestyle, it's so much more important. That, Like you said, we do that sometimes as well. Just... Oh, it's after lunch. We should just take a nap and then we sleep for one hour yeah. or go. We for don't a walk have or... that opportunity anymore. No, <laughs> I'm just I kidding. get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not kidding. We don't. <laughs> but, no. <laughs> but going back a bit to your to your name uh, of your accounts and everything, and also the like, the passion you and I share with each other is running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is running to you guys? It is a big part of our lives. I have a feeling that it's much bigger than we actually put through yeah. or put forward through social media. Um, we, I've always been, more or less, always been a runner. I took sort of brought that with me to New York, and that's definitely how I discovered the city. I, I ran it and got to know every single neighborhood, and it was awesome. And as part of me starting to tell you about all these running endeavors there, um, you got a little mm-hmm. intrigued. So then you sort of joined Mm-hmm. And we started running together. Um, that's how it started. And I want to say that now we run more or less every day. We have usually a pretty, like, serious training plan. We um, love to run races and primarily um, ultra races and trails. So no, like, road marathons for us. I think it's much more than a way to, like, maintain a strong body. It's uh, It's obviously that, too. But it also awesome for our minds. While, while you're running, especially um, running in nature, it's such a way to de-stress yeah. and to let go of everything um, from the day. Or we actually often run in the morning. But it's it's almost um, it's a little bit like a active meditation. Yeah. We often say that with cross-country skiing, which we love to do in the winter. But trail running is the same way where you you're really only in the moment. I think that's what's so nice with trail running, too, that you Mm -hmm. have to focus on where your next step is going to land. So there's, like, not really brain space to think too much about other things, which acts Mm -hmm. um, 
in a very like yeah relaxing manner i'm more goal oriented when it comes to our running i sort of need the races um i really like to have a goal to try and train for something and try and reach a certain time um i would say you you're more about the process i think um actually i was um I have had a really tough time with competitiveness in my life in general. Um, comparisons of all kinds have been very, very tough for me. Uh, and I've shied away from pretty much all contexts where that's a thing or that has been a thing. Um, so with running, I was never, ever drawn towards racing at all. It just seemed like a nightmare <laughs> to me. So that was part of what you were so surprised about when I first started sharing my running because you were like, hang on, you're going for 25K, like run just for fun and you're not even training for something? Like to you, that sounded completely <laughs> yeah. bonkers. What's the point? Yeah, exactly. What's the point? And I was like, I don't know, because I like it. <laughs> and then after you had been running with me or we had been running together for about two years, I believe, this is still back in New York then, um, you kind of like, like just like very gently <laughs> introduced the idea of this one trail race you had found and like would mm -hmm. I perhaps be up for racing it together with you? And I think I initially just like completely panicked. Yeah. And then I had you promise that um, we would go super slowly. Yeah. That there would be like zero expectation on anything because the way I work in my very... Um, uh, performance-focused, high-achieving, type A sort of personalities that if I set out to succeed, then I know I'm just going to trip myself over um, because I will be so afraid of um, failing. I will be so mm -hmm. afraid of not living up to the expectations. So I need to set them really low or basically like fake fall so I can just like hobble back to the start and say, sorry, fell, couldn't do it. So when we, I did, I did eventually come around and say, okay, let's do it. And we signed up, um, and you had to put in your estimated finishing time. And we put in ours as, like, the slowest possible. So we ended up in the very last starting group. And um, the gun went off for us, like, so much farther back than all the other people. Um, but the gun went off, and we just, like, leaped out of the freaking I was like, what is going on? Okay, we're racing this thing. <laughs> and I like ran as if I, I don't know, life depended on it. <laughs> and we had like a fantastic day. Yeah. We had really a fantastic day and flew by lots of people. <laughs> um, ended up coming into the finish feeling like very much alive, um, body and mind, like just completely in tune with each other. Um, so that was like the start of that it's such a bonding for, experience yeah, yeah that too so yeah and so I guess that's another unique or semi-unique part about us is that we run races together and we train together I think we have like a I guess awesome setup where we run about the same pace mm -hmm. um, and we can perform about like on a very similar level mm -hmm. um, so that really opens up um, for a lot of fun adventures together, and that's how we often approach uh, these ultra races, specifically the very long ones, where it's it's just a big adventure for us together. You talked in the beginning, uh, Sophia, about that you're introducing yourself as a translator, but you would like to introduce yourself more like a, not a farmer, but like a person growing vegetables and a runner. How do you see running as a future like income in your life? Um boy <laughs> well i guess i have some some i don't i don't at all 
nurture a dream of becoming a professional runner that can live off of price money and sponsorships because um, I think I would have had to start pursuing that a while ago and I am far from convinced I possess the, the necessary talent. I for mean, it. that's not true. She she won't say it, but she is very talented and um, works really hard for it. But she can definitely perform well in races and she's won quite a few races and even in some of the bigger, more popular races, she's competing up there. So it's, I think that if maybe um, you didn't have a family and you were more competitive, you definitely have it in you. (laughs) Your mindset. You definitely have it in you. You could um, sort of make it more of a thing. I I guess there are many ways where you could turn running like into at least part of your income. So prize money would obviously be a little part of that. But you can also, we are um, coaching um, other runners. So that's, I guess, one part of it. I wouldn't call myself a runner in that sense. Obviously, that, then you're a coach. But um, it's still a product of running. Um, and then uh, I think we would also like to do maybe like running retreats and things like mm-hmm. that in the future as well. Um, but I, I guess what I meant there was that running and vegetable growing are my two biggest passions. So I wish I could just say that's what I do all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. So getting into that part of that, like leaving the running part behind us a bit, how and where did the interest of gardening start? I think it started in the beginning um, in New York. Mm-hmm. We had a, a small little herb garden. And when I say herb garden, it was like a little planter box. Um that you would just like buy in the store that we tried. We're like, oh, let's try growing some herbs on the roof. Wouldn't that be nice to have like fresh basil and like thyme and I forget what else we grew. We lived on the first floor um, and the roof was on the sixth floor. And um, I think quickly you became responsible for yeah. watering. Yeah, <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> that experiment didn't really work out so well. We had, um, it's unclear if it was pigeons or if it was rats, um, but everything, or it could have been our neighbors, who knows. <laughs> Um, I would I would not put it past them. Just when the herbs were looking good, um, they all were eaten or taken, cut down. But like not even that, they were completely gone. Like I, I remember walking up that 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 day to water, and it's like I mean it was an awesome building. I love that apartment so much. But let's say it had some like safety issues. So I'd been like. <laughs> making my way up these like very questionable stairs all the way up. The roof was not like a nice finished rooftop. It was just like, again, using the word questionable, very questionable roof. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I went up and I was going to water this little planter and there's like absolutely no trace of of anything left there. Like you couldn't even see that anything had ever been growing. It was very interesting. So I actually don't think we even removed that plant. No, it might it's still probably still there. there no yeah. But anyway, that kind of like, we've always had an interest and wanted to have a garden. And when we decided that we were going to move here, we had it in our head that we'd have um, like a few garden boxes here. And, Tomatoes, you know, basil, exactly. Yeah. And um, within, I, within a week of moving here, like plans exploded. And <laughs> we decided to clear a huge portion of land um, with like trees and brush and everything. We're like, okay, let's flatten this. We're going to build eight giant garden boxes. We're going to fence it in because there's deer and we don't want, and moose, and we don't want them to eat. Yeah. And that was the, the start of it. It just escalated so quickly. And we immediately fell in love with everything from um, starting the seeds indoors in January under grow lights to harvesting in August. And it's been 
growing ever since. I mean, each each year, each season, we expand the garden in some way. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's been such a an incredible journey, though, because like Mike is saying here, we started out with this um, one little piece of, or little, but piece of land that we um, fenced off and everything. And that was the summer of 2018, which was our first. So we sort of prepared everything in the fall because we moved end of summer. And then so the next summer was our first season growing. And that was the summer of 2018, which was that ridiculously hot summer in Sweden, which was terrifying in many ways. But let me tell you, things grew like they've never grown before. Yeah. So we were mind blown by the masses of food. It was just like, I mean, it, we harvested like 26 kilograms of chard. And it was just like, we had, it just turned into a giant operation to take care of everything. Yeah. We actually and, weighed every single thing. And we did. And had our notebook, because um, we wanted to compare how much it would have cost to buy Swedish organic and, equivalent. And we had spent some money on the on the um, the garden as well, setting it up. So we wanted to know how long it would take for it to pay itself back, and it did in one season. It, yeah. It cost us about ten thousand kroner to set up because we bought a lot of um, we bought five tons, actually five tons, of organic dirt or soil, which was very expensive. <laughs> which we've now learned that there's a lot other ways that you can create good yeah, soil yeah. without having to buy five tons of it. But, yeah, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, we wanted to sort of, in the interest of like being a little bit more frugal these days, we wanted to know how long is it going to take for us to make this, this money back. And it did not take long. No. Um, but anyway, the, the whole journey has been such a, it's been such a humbling journey because we've learned so much. And, and when we think back, um, it's like, I don't know. I feel like we were like looking at plants as like plants and now they're almost like little friends. It's like, and I might come across as like a crazy plant lady, but it's, I don't know. There's something to that, like nurturing process of having plants in their little pots and then you plant them outside and you get them used to the weather and you water and you fertilize and you harvest and it's just so grounding like sticking your fingers into the ground like I had no idea I had no idea that I would be this that I would be speaking this way about mm-hmm. growing vegetables like a few years later so enthusiastically um it's been it's it's amazing mm-hmm. it just gives me so much back is it hard stopping yourself in this like setting a limit to it oh Oh, 100%. I mean, this this year alone, we said, okay, we just had a child. We're not going to expand the garden. And then there was a really windy night a couple months ago, and a big fir tree came down, and it took out a plum tree of ours. And we were a little like, ah, okay, the plum tree wasn't really producing that much. It wasn't in the best shape. Um, And not in the best spot either. We were like, hmm. What should we do there? No, we didn't think that. No? We were like, ah, okay, well, okay. And then the next day you were like, wouldn't that be an awesome place for a giant garden box? That's how it went. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so we built this really big garden box, and it's, it, I mean, what is it, 12 square meters yep. of growable space in there? Yeah. So it's a yep. big U-shape, and, yep, we expanded again. Yep, yep. Um. It's like, and it was almost like it just happened and then sort of halfway through building this box, we looked at each other and we're like, ha, huh, look at us expanding the garden. Like, we didn't uh-huh. even reflect upon it before we were... <laughs> we were. And, you know, we have dreams to grow even bigger. I mean, there's an adjacent field that is um, owned by someone 
and they just grow grass there and turn it into hay. And we have dreams of uh, leasing that land long term to be able to grow more. Just have a field with like potatoes, onions, um, okay. carrots, like the really low maintenance stuff. Um, so we could really be more um, self-sustaining. self-sustaining on vegetables all year round. Right now, I would say we three or three to four months a year, we don't have to buy any vegetables from the store. And then about like six, seven months, if we supplement potatoes, onions, carrots from the store. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we eat a lot of vegetables. We're both yeah. we're we eat a lot of everything, <laughs> and um, we eat. We're runners, so we eat a lot. Yeah. So we we go through <laughs> quite a, a fair share. Yeah, I think what's also inspiring is that um, I think beforehand I had this idea that in order to uh, even get close to using those words self sufficiency, self sustainability, you need like you need a farm. And I think that's been so cool too that we don't we have like an average size Swedish property. It's somewhere between two and three thousand square meters, um, and we're just in a little glade in the woods. Um, we're on a we're on an island, a rocky island, so we're not looking at fertile soil here. It's we probably have the to, worst soil in all yeah. Sweden. <laughs> but there are ways to build good soil, and we've learned those. Um, but we all like when we say we expand our garden and we have a big operation, like. Yeah, but it's not gigantic, and mm-hmm. it still can produce masses of food. And that, I think, is so cool and, and something I wasn't fully aware of before um, starting, that you you can get a lot. And remember, you like quite recently, you posted on Instagram that you only go shopping in a, like a normal grocery store yeah. once yeah. a <laughs> month or something? Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's extremely impressive to us because we don't yet grow our own. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, just our... You know, our small pots with like um, spices and stuff, of course, but not more than that. And we have a whole area down here that we're going to grow in this year. Uh, but in getting very inspired and almost provoked that you only go once a month. <laughs> uh, it's a good inspiration. Well, I'll tell you one thing about that, though. That's not entirely thanks to our garden. Um, about a year ago when or a little more than a year ago, I was like third trimester pregnant and COVID swept in, as everyone remembers. Um and we found ourselves coming back from a ski trip, like, right when it blew up in Sweden. And it was like, huh, you know what? We don't have, like, we don't need to leave in the next month. We had a midwife appointment a month away. So, like, why don't we just do, like, a massive freaking haul and try to just be able to be home? Because at that point, it was like, are you a risk group when you're pregnant? I don't know. Should we be going to the store? And, ah, God, let's just isolate. It was just so mm-hmm. many, like, uncertainties at the time. Um so so we did, and it worked out. Like, we could actually do it. We mm-hmm. went a whole month without going. And um, so that's how that started. But what I wanted to say was that that was in March, and our garden wasn't yielding much at all. The reason why we can do that is because we eat with the seasons. So in the winter, we really only buy vegetables such as carrots, potatoes, onions, cabbage, beets, parsnips that you can store for a month. That's yep. not a problem if you just dare to buy large enough quantities. Mm-hmm. And that we do nowadays. <laughs> so it's it's partly thanks to that too. Yeah, but that's a smart way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it also keeps the cost down. Yeah. yeah. When you don't have those spontaneous trips to the store, you don't have those like, oh, I want that, I want that. Exactly. Um, you kind of have to plan a little bit more. So you end up spending a lot less. And yeah. um, we have a, a strict, it's not strict, but we have a, a food budget um, every month and that's 3000 kroner. So it's uh, approximately $300. Yeah. And we sometimes go over, 
Um, yeah. Sometimes a little under, but usually we're right around, we're there. Right around there. And I think if we went like once a week, we would not be able to do that. No. I'm, and, I'm pretty convinced. Yeah. And when your diet consists of um, a lot of less expensive vegetables like cabbage and carrots and then a lot of legumes, we eat, we buy a lot of dried um beans and lentils and chickpeas and things like that that's a big staple part of our diet and now we've also started baking our own bread we challenged ourselves for 2021 to no 2020 wow we did it for (laughs) we challenged ourselves in 2020 as a new year's resolution to not buy any soft bread from the store now we say soft bread because we still buy crisp bread yeah um but no soft bread from the store and we'll bake all our own and it started out like kind of like a big project to do that but now we've just gotten the habit and we we bake any. we bake sourdough once or twice a week depending on how much we're eating and it's just a simple like task that's not a big deal that yeah you know. it's just part of the routine now yeah i would say and i think that in turn has actually helped us keep the food budget because yeah. i feel like last year it was easier than it has been the previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at, I think that's like a typical money saving tip uh, in your everyday life to bake your own bread. And I think um, it might seem like a big task and stuff. And I understand that uh, it takes some getting used to, but once you're in it, I, I feel like, like just mm-hmm. what you said there, that it's part of the routine. Um, but if you look at the, if you do a, a hard price comparison, if you look at the per kilogram price of flour versus uh, ready-made bread, Oh, there's a lot to save there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also know what you're putting into your body. That's just that thing is worth more than all the money. Uh, yeah, in that sense yeah. as well. Ex- exactly, for sure. It feels like we were talking a lot about your passions projects and what you're really passionate about. <laughs> uh, but going back to the roots, which is good. I don't mean that's a bad thing. Uh, I just mean like going back to the roots of this podcast, what would you say is your true north? I think ultimately what makes me inspired is uh the um it's gonna sound a little out there but it's like the the realization that exactly everything is in our own hands i think we had both gotten stuck in this mindset of like life happens to you and you just roll with it whether it makes you happy or not like that's not priority and i think by moving here and committing to a different type of life has just made me realize that exactly everything is possible if we just want it and want it enough obviously there is a privilege in there which i should mention but like from just being like born in the western world and and things like that but like we have the drive we have the ambition we have the work ethics we have the brains we have like everything going for us if we want to pursue a dream and we never have a reason to Mm -hmm. to not and i think that realization that that exactly everything is possible if we choose to go for it is making me so inspired to mm-hmm. to do that <laughs> to mm-hmm. never let anything stand in the way um and then by moving here and like reducing our living costs and committing to a more of a simple yet very rich lifestyle because i think it's rich in so many things we've just opened so many doors mm-hmm. and i didn't think that was possible or I thought it was going to come maybe with this feeling of sacrifices that mm-hmm. like a lifestyle like this would feel good in some ways, but also be like, oh, but it's so 
we can't do this so we can't do that or I feel like but I don't have that feeling mm-hmm. I just think it's it's amazing I, I completely agree I, I personally want um, I think I've seen so many people around me um, work jobs that they didn't necessarily love um, they worked hard they spent so much time and so much of their energy into that work just to get a paycheck to support the family to kind of live a life that wasn't even making them happy and my own father um, worked um, he's retired now but he he probably um, the whole second half of his career was counting down toward retirement and really like then I can live you know then once the work is over that's like and I I didn't want to wait until I was 65 until I could truly be happy mm-hmm. I and by living here and by doing this with you Sophia I sort of can um be in the moment and be happy now and not wait until retirement mm-hmm. and that, that's that's a big thing for me isn't that also a bit scary that everything actually is possible it is especially yeah. because then with that you could have this feeling of I'm not I'm not like going after it enough or I'm not pursuing enough or, oh my goodness, we could do that. We could do this. We could whatever. Um, but I think part of the, part of my personal journey, and maybe I have this a little more than you, mm-hmm. but part of my personal journey as that, I mentioned it previously, but sort of perfectionist, high achieving, like in Swedish, we have that expression, duktiflika, like good girl, like always living up to expectations, always doing the right thing. Um, good grades, all the, all that stuff. I think part of this downshifting journey has been realizing that none of those expressions have been coming from a place of like, it didn't make me happy. It didn't make me happy to chase after things that someone else decided for me I should want. So for me, it's like, no, no, part of my journey is to be able to look at all those things I could be pursuing and say, oh, but they're not for me. And that's a huge step for me personally mm-hmm. to not compare myself to others to not be sort of tricked into going for exactly everything but instead say you know what it's kind of like the bull ferdinand from disney it's like but i like it here like just sitting underneath the tree smelling the flowers yeah being like, happy with what enough. you have it's a challenge yeah. actually that yeah, you yeah. Have to I mean, it is it is it is especially in this uh sort of um social media like that saturated climate mm-hmm. of of just seeing others like realizing dreams everywhere and it's also amazing <laughs> um so yeah to to just settle and be mm-hmm. um i think that brings often the greatest happiness totally agree not going after the next thing all the time christina can look at me sometimes and just say like do you realize how lucky we are we can just sit here on a couch on a wednesday and do nothing or we can be out filming or we can do this and this and this uh just actually sit down and appreciate what we do have and not search for the next big thing that it's challenging but it's very important yeah 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 absolutely people that want to get in touch with you how can they find you um we are on instagram as at live slow run far and then we're uh we're at live slow run far.com and um, that's our um website where we it's mostly I wouldn't say mostly. It's tons of recipes. Um, We probably have over 200 recipes now. Yeah. um, Which is pretty cool. Vegetarian and uh, entirely plant-based. And 
uh, a lot of blogs. Interviews as well? Yeah, interviews, one with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a few of those now, actually. That Those have also been been adding up, um, mm-hmm. but also tons of blog posts on themes such as wall running and vegetable growing, but also like leaving the hamster wheel and mm-hmm. living simply and, and the joys of that. And one thing we haven't really touched upon, but encompasses all of these things, is sustainability. Yeah. And yeah. that's a huge part of our blog, and a lot of the posts are about that. And a lot of what um, we want to do with our channels is to inspire others to live a more sustainable life. Focus isn't I mentioned the word sacrifices before, but I think in that whole debate, there is such focus on like all the things you have to give up. We can't eat meat anymore, and we can't fly, and we can't do this, and we can't do that. Um, whereas we want to sort of shed light on all the things we can do that are incredible. And we often say that um, our climate footprint has been it's been reduced by so, so, so much since we moved from New York, yet our quality of life has skyrocketed in how we perceive it. So. And you also have a Patreon page? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank, that, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being our PR manager. <laughs> yeah. w- one thing that that we've been, um, we've said is we don't want to have like big banner ads on our website. Exactly. I, it drives me crazy when you're looking for a recipe or something online on Google. Yeah. And then you get to one that looks great and you have to scroll past like a thousand moving ads to get to the recipe. So like we the hate most that. Obnoxious, obscure things sometimes too, which I don't mm-hmm. get, but Google gets it, I guess. So we, um, we've said absolutely not. Well, um, but Patreon is a way for us to get support. Yeah. Um, financially to allow us to be able to continue to create recipes, to continue to write um, blog posts, to continue to do interviews um, without having those annoying banner ads. Yep. So we, for our Patreon um, supporters, we have a uh, monthly newsletter. Um, and we also have a monthly talk, which is sort of like a podcast, but it's just Sophia and I um, chatting about certain parts of our life, certain part of our, our passions. Like this past one... We talked about just our garden and a little bit how how it started and where we are now, and um, we have ones on running and you yeah. know everything. So those are the the perks that we provide um, to those supporters, and we're very grateful for anyone who wants to yeah. support us. But the best thing that we always tell people is just share our you know like, yeah. comment, share, um, cook our recipes that that helps the most absolutely yeah that's what i get from your accounts as well and your social media like you're so happy about what you're sharing like it's truly nerdy in a very good way (laughs) (laughs) we're two nerds i'm proud of it yeah (laughs) yeah exactly but i will leave links to blog um, instagram patreon and everything in the description of this episode so people can just click on that to find the right place so to speak but thank you guys for so much for coming on and talking to me and sharing your story and your philosophy. Thank you so much for having us. It has been a true joy. Yeah, absolutely. And as you can tell, we could we we know how to talk. <laughs> we can talk. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm guessing I'm gonna in- invite you for a future episode as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon again. Yeah. yeah. Talk soon. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Aren't they like the sweetest couple ever? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Make sure to jump over to their Instagram, Live Slow Run Far, to say hi and and thank them for coming on to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be very happy if you can just share it with a friend or a colleague or on an Instagram story. 
because that helps me to reach more people so I can make more of these episodes. And if you want to say hi to me, jump over to Instagram or YouTube. Just search for Kalle Flodin or click the links in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk soon again. Bye-bye.